Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, the show where we learn about the people who make up the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, go to soundcloud.com slash Podcast or subscribe on iTunes by searching Media People Podcast. Views expressed by participants are personal. Today's guest, Ben Davies, actually wears two hats. By day, Ben is an executive recruiter for Grapevine Executive Recruiters, matching candidates in the media industry with their next big opportunity. By night, he's a filmmaker, carving his own path in the Canadian film industry. Ben chats with us today about life as a headhunter and the production of his first feature-length film entitled Rise and Fall that recently wrapped principal photography and is slated for a spring 2016 release. Ben, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. So let's start from the beginning. Where are you born? I grew up in Toronto. Born and raised? Born and raised. And what was life like growing up for you in Toronto? Well, I was, you know, just like any other kid, I uh, loved filmmaking, uh, sports, uh, food, into people and, you know, just really, you know, trying to have a good time and uh, make it in this, this big city. And speaking of people, I ask everyone this question uh, on the podcast as to who their influences were. And everyone seems to come back to a family member, which you have as well. You, you cite your dad, which I want to hear about. But you've also got people like John Lennon, Allen Ginsberg, Michael Jordan, Vincent Van Gogh. We've got, his, uh, we've got some historical figures, some artists in here. Uh, why John Lennon? Let's start with that one first. Well, I was heavily influenced by, you know, creative icons. You know, uh, John Lennon was, you know, a major force for the Beatles uh, as a songwriter. You know, someone like Allen Ginsberg was, you know, the lead of the beat movement. Uh, you know, some of his writings, his uh, his literature, you know, has, has inspired me. You know, my dad was a university professor, and uh, I would say literature has been a big part of, you know, what has influenced me. Um, you know, but I also grew up loving film. Um, so someone like... Like Robert Evans, who's a famous Hollywood movie producer, his story is fascinating in the sense that you know he reinvented himself and really ushered in a golden era of film. Um, you know, someone like Vincent Van Gogh and Lennon, you know, are pioneers. Maybe a little bit, um, a little bit chaotic in their thinking, but we're definitely, I, I, I believe, to be geniuses in uh, their their field and their craft. So I, I always look up to, you know, the the legends of our time. It sounds like you had a really cultured upbringing. Is that what led you to do communications and humanities at York University? Sure. Yeah, no, I, uh, uh, education has always been very important. Um, you know, my dad, who's passed away, you know, is, uh, is, is a major influence in, you know, in, in the way my, my thought process works, uh, you know, being able to be educated and, and uh, have a, an informed opinion is, is very important. I imagine you probably came from a very opinionated family, especially with your father being a university professor, because being a professor is usually directly associated with being an idealist. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think that's fair. You know, I, my brother, he, you know, he owns his own, uh, ATM business and he's an idealist and, you know, my mom, she's a, you know, business consultant, uh, entrepreneur, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's an idealist and we were raised on ideas. And, uh, I, I think that's one of the most important things in, in this industry. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, your brother for a second, because your first gig out of university wasn't in the media. It wasn't recruitment. It was actually working for his, uh, ATM company. Yeah, well, you know what? Coming out of school, that was a that was a funny time. Um, you know, pretty much my first gig out of school was really hospitality and ATMs. <laughs> I was a server uh, working in you know French bistro and selling my brother's uh, ATMs to local restaurants, uh, convenience stores. 
um, and I would work on a, a commission structure. And that was really my first taste of sales. Uh, you know, also working in hospitality, you, you learn to engage people, and, and it really kind of gave me my, uh, my start <laughs> in a lot of ways. So working with people is a big thing for you then? Sure. Uh, so then after, uh, after you moved on from that job, uh, you decided to do something interesting. You actually went back to uh, college at George Brown, and what did you study there? Uh, so that was uh, like a event management marketing uh, postgraduate, uh, and it really gave me a taste for um, for events. Actually, um, I, I we had our own um, uh, like event planning course where we, you know, would uh, we would be taught how to throw our own events, and I did one uh, paint sounds, which was an art installation art exhibition funk concert <laughs> that we raised um, for the, the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Uh, and so what was it like going back to school after getting out of university thinking, that's it, I'm done with class, uh, and then starting all over again? Like how many years did you have between your time at York and then from when you graduated from York and then from when you started at uh, George Brown? It's about four years. Um, was yeah. it hard to get back into that routine, this concept of having homework again and things like that? Or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was... It was it was definitely an adjustment, but I would say the biggest adjustment for me was actually when I graduated and realizing that, you know, the, the program at George Brown really didn't get me, you know, a new career or a new job. It ultimately, um, you know, it took me out of the workforce for a year. And then, you know, when I graduated, I had to look for job and it was uh, look for a job again. And it was like starting all over. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, discourage people from going back to do a postgrad, but, um, I would encourage people to really know, you know, what they want to do long-term, um, before they just kind of jump in and, you know, think that a Ryerson or a George Brown is going to get them the job. It's, it's actually them that's going to get the job. So what you're saying is that uh, it's not a bad thing to do. It can be very beneficial, but you've got to be prepared for that kind of career reboot once it happens. Absolutely. And after that, this was probably your first gig in the media. So tell us where you landed after that. So, so, well, after, like right after school, um, it was a little bit of a process of, you know, uh, brand ambassador, team lead, experiential marketing, uh, hospitality. Um, you know, I, I really, you know, I don't want to say I struggled, but I, I, I would say I had a hard time really um, landing on my feet for the first year after school. Um, you know, it, you, do a, you do a course in event marketing, you know, it, it really doesn't lead you to, you know, some of the jobs that, you know, at the time I would have wanted. Um, so I struggled. I, uh, you know, I did, I did experiential, I, I worked, um, promotions. Um, and from there, you know, I would say after maybe about two years of, of doing that, um, I really honed in on sales, um, saying, you know what, I want to, I want to give sales a go. And, and from that, I, I really kind of worked my way up into uh, digital media, um, working with a company called uh, Splice Media, and you know they did. Uh, uh, it was a startup mentality uh, where it had three companies amalgamated into one, uh, where they did high-end video production, uh, SEO, and um, uh, uh, websites. Uh, and uh, with the video production, they would be creating commercials, uh, brand logos for companies, uh, small businesses, and I led up the sales team for uh, Splice Media. But then after that, though, you went from hustling for dollars for the agency to 
hustling for people, trying to find them the right uh, career path. Uh, tell us about how that came about. Well, um, it's it's an interesting story. Uh, you know, I so I worked I worked sales for about you know maybe four or five years before I got into recruitment, um, and I remember uh, connecting with Grapevine um, for a job that they had advertised, and um, I connected with uh, with Patty and Ray, who is the owner, and uh, and. Uh, they sent me out for a job, and uh, I remember talking with uh, with the president and saying, um, you know, I'm, I really like it at Grapevine. It's a fantastic opportunity. And, and uh, he said to me, well, have you ever thought about becoming a recruiter? And uh, I thought about it, and he said, well, you know, if it doesn't work out with, uh, with this interview, you know, let me know. And so after the interview, I called him up and said, um, you know, are you still interested? And he said, oh, sure, when can you come, come down? And, you know, I was wearing my suit, and I said, you know, let's, let's do it right now. And so I, um, I went right to the office, and uh, the rest is, is history, I guess. And you do something unique at Grapevine because I know that they don't just focus on media, but you've kind of carved a niche for yourself in this industry in Toronto. Uh, and what do you primarily focus on or who do you place where? What kind of positions are your specialty? Uh, so programmatic, uh, analytic, uh, paid per click, SEO, SEM. Uh, you know, I'll look for anyone from a, a sales director uh, to a campaign manager to uh, an operations manager. Uh, you know, right to the uh, to the search. Um, so I, I've really niched out digital media as as an area that I, I find is growing. Um, and you know, a lot of the the accounts I have are media agencies and uh, client side that focus per particularly on the programmatic, uh, the analytic. Let's do a quick plug first. Uh, if someone's listening to this and they go, "I want to get a hold of this guy because I need my next career mover," or "I just need a job," uh, how can they get a hold of you, Ben? Uh, so you contact Ben at grapevinerecruiters.com. Uh, and we're right at uh, Peter and Richmond uh, near the Scotiabank Theater. Um, and you can find us on our website um, or you can, uh, you can email, direct, email me directly and uh, I'd love to chat. Come on, give them a phone number. What if they want to call? You've got to have your phone number handy. I have my, I have my number handy. If you'd like to call me, you can call me at 416 581-1445, and my extension is 229. That's awesome. We never call ourselves, so we're always struggling to get that phone number out to people. I know, right? I, uh, I, I thought I had it on me, but it, it, I didn't have the number on me right away. Okay. So let's jump right into what does a typical day look like for a recruiter? You get in in the morning at, say, 39 o'clock. What do you do from there? Uh, so my day varies. Um, I would say... LinkedIn, uh, phone, like cold calling, uh, networking, interviewing. A lot of what I do is evaluating talent and trying to identify the right person for the particular job I have at hand. And, and you mentioned LinkedIn. How big of a part of your day or what you do is LinkedIn? LinkedIn is a big part of what I do. I, I would say it's really a game changer in the sense that a lot of the talent is found on LinkedIn. It's just a, ma a matter of giving the proper time to identify the right candidate and the right fit. Um, so for me to, you know, reach out to someone on LinkedIn um, could could potentially be, you know, the difference between uh, finding the right person and the wrong person. So let's talk about a, a LinkedIn profile. Sure. Because I'm sure you have a look at a lot of profiles. To you, what does a winning profile look like? What does a losing profile look like? One that you're willing to pass up on. Sure. Well, listen, it all starts with experience. 
it all starts about the accounts you've worked with, uh, the people that you've worked with, the references. You know, ultimately, I'm going to look at the company that you're currently at and the work that you're doing. You know, titles are meaningless. It's really about what you did, you know, what, what you achieved, you know, what were your responsibilities and, you know, what are you really proud of? And from there, I can evaluate based on that if you'd be a good fit for, you know, an opportunity at hand. And how have you seen the industry evolve? Like what kind of, uh, over the last year or so, what kind of jobs have crept up that weren't there maybe in years past? If you had a crystal ball and you had to look five years into the future, which, what kind of positions do you think you'll be recruiting less for? And which ones do you think you'll be, uh, there'll be higher demand for? Well, I think it's fair to say that, you know, anyone that was working in print, you know, and a lesser degree, maybe radio, um, you know, they are having a little bit of a tougher time compared to someone that's more focused on digital, on content. Um, Print depresses me a bit because even though I'm a digital guy and I, I beat my chest about it, I'm actually a magazine subscriber. I <laughs> sure. like the convenience of magazines because you can just, you can throw them away, do whatever you want with them. Loading it up on my iPad, having a four or $500 thing break on me and go, I can't read my $3 magazine because my $400 device broke drives me nuts. But sure. that, that's just kind of a sidebar. Sorry, keep going. No. And it's just kind of the way it, it's going. You know, you, you mentioned positions, you know, I look at, um, you know, an advertise like an online operations manager, um, a, a technical account manager. You know, what I'm seeing more and more are are people taking a, a hybrid approach with the account manager, where they, you know, will amalgamate a trader and an account manager into one role. Um, so they would do, you know, both jobs. You know, programmatic sales director I find is becoming. Um, more and more like good salespeople are hard to find. And I'm sure you know all about that. Yep. You know, um, I find these are, these are the roles that are, are evolving, but more than anything, it's really about the data, uh, the analytics, you know, somebody that, uh, can strategize, you know, where an audience behavior is going to be to anticipate, you know, someone's, uh, buying habits is becoming invaluable and it's all big data um, that you know we're we're looking at and we're trying to identify you know where to put our advertisement if it was a, a billboard on the side of the highway 10 years ago it's a billboard on your mobile device now outside of linkedin and making cold calls uh, what's the next biggest tool in your toolbox for finding people referrals <laughs> uh, networking is is vital and it's really like anything in this world, but, um, being able to go to events, be, uh, be engaged within the industry, having a, a pulse on what's going on in the city, um, associations, uh, LinkedIn groups, uh, being able to just talk to people and, and really, you know, read articles and, and just really be engaged in what's going on. If you could give, we're going to wrap up this part before we jump into your filmmaking career because I'm really <laughs> interested in that. Sure. But uh, if you could give anyone listening some advice, anyone who's looking, what would you say to them apart from call me? Well, Anything that you could tell them to do for their LinkedIn profile, their resume, things like that? Well, identify the channel you want to be in and go after it wholeheartedly. You know, tailor your resume to the job at hand. You know, I have too many people that they contact me. Uh, saying that they want a job but have no experience in it or have never worked in it. You know, really identify what you want to do and back it up with examples, back it up with metrics. You know, you are your own brand. You know, so um, 
represent yourself accordingly to the job description that's at hand. And if you need to do two resumes, um, then do that. I lied. I actually have one more question. <laughs> sure, no have problem. you ever pushed back at a company and said, look, what you're looking for isn't what is out there talent wise. I'm kind of referring back to that LinkedIn meme that's been floating around that says something like, uh, position or the, or the industry is only two or three years old looking for someone with 30 years experience, <laughs> something like that. Have you ever had to push back and go that that's well, it's, it's, it's not really about pushing back. It's about identifying what's out there. And, and, uh, you know, I'm looking to collaborate, um, with somebody and, and really identify what their needs are and then, and then give them what the expectations of the candidates are. You know, if somebody's out there and they're demanding 80,000, but they're only being offered 60,000, they're not going to get the good people that they want. But if they, you know, if they have a certain need, a certain profile that they're looking for, then I, I identify people that matches that. Uh, <laughs> sure. No, seriously. So you said you were an actor uh, as a child. Where did you get your start? And how did you fall into that? <laughs> well, my story is kind of funny. Um, you know, I, I always did acting in high school. Um, I remember Second City and, uh, you know, I did uh, improv and sketch comedy as a kid. Um, for me, acting is always kind of like a, a love affair with a mistress that always breaks your heart. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I remember I, I worked in hospitality doing the acting thing, trying to, trying to make it work. And, you know, I got to a point where I wanted to be able to make my own films, my own projects. And it became a, a hobby of mine, um, filmmaking, to, you know, be able to create the story and the film that, you know, I want to tell. You know, and not just go to some auditions and, and recruitment for me, you know, is, uh, is, is, a, is a great passion and being able to identify the right um, people um, is, you know, really important to me. And, you know, filmmaking has always been kind of an extracurricular activity for me as I, you know, build my sales career, build my recruitment career. Um, it's, it's a balance, you know, being able to, to do both isn't easy. Um, so it's really my spare time is dedicated to shooting on the weekend or, you know, after work or, you know, uh, just trying to make it, trying to make it work. Um, cause it's not always easy. So being a film buff and a filmmaker, then uh, what are your favorite films? If you had to pick a couple to put on or you're stranded on a deserted Island with a, we'll say with a Blu-ray player, which ones would you take with you? Well, you know, we can break this down into genre to genre, you know, um, you know, I, I'm like, I'm a big, you know, mystery buff. I love comedy, you know, uh, you know, like a story like usual suspects always fascinated me. Even Birdman was, you know, somatic theater at its best. But that was a brilliant film. Yeah. Just the way it was shot in like one take, even though it wasn't one take. Beautiful. You know, I, I really, you know, love a good laugh with the big Lebowski, you know, it's one of the funniest films or, you know, anything that Bill Murray's done, you know, I, I still love <laughs> Ghostbusters or, you know, or then like a, like a fight club, you know, like a psychological thriller, you know, I've, I've always liked a good psychological. It's funny that you bring those three, uh, the first three movies you mentioned, uh, usual suspects, Birdman and big Lebowski, because arguably those films helped, uh, Certain uh, actors make a comeback. Usual Suspects did it with Kevin Spacey. Birdman did it with Michael Keaton. And to a certain degree, Big Lebowski did it with uh, John Goodman. Mm -hmm. Jeff Bridges as well. That's true. Jeff Bridges as well. 
and I mean, if you look at these actors, they've all either won Oscars in the last 10 years or at least very at least been nominated. So it sounds like you like a good comeback story. <laughs> you can never, uh, you never can count out the heart of a champion. Now that's a quote from, um, I think, I think it was, a it was a coach of the Houston Rockets and I think 94, that's what they said after they won the second championship back to back. Um, I like an underdog story. I've always liked, um, a guy that's struggled, that's been persistent and that, you know, prevails in the end. Those are the characters I've always enjoyed to play. And those are the stories I like to write. And that is a beautiful segue into, uh, the film. I think you just wrapped principal photography on it. Yeah. Yeah. I know we, oh man, we were shooting for a good six, seven months there. But you got to tell us what it's called first. What's it called? <laughs> so the story is The Rise and Fall. Uh, and The Rise and Fall is a dark comedy thriller about a struggling comedian that reinvents himself, uh, like a coming of age story. So again, another person reinventing themselves or, or <laughs> making a comeback. Uh, and how did you get that off the ground? Because when it comes to making a movie at, at the level that you're making at, there are a lot of moving pieces. So if you don't mind me asking, let's start from the beginning. Where does one go for financing? The financing was myself. All by yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did um, a, a, an Indiegogo that raised me a little bit of money. Um, but you know what? This is, this is a story of, you know, recruitment by day, film by night. Um, you know, my checks that I would, I would make by placing people would go towards the film equipment, go towards, you know, I paid, I paid the actors, uh, the, the food and, you know, we did this on the weekends. I, I, I really, I, I made it work, um, in the day and then at night, um, you know, uh, it wouldn't be every night, but you know, some nights, yeah, we would, we would shoot, um, like from six till 10 or 11 at night, um, just to get what we were looking for. And, um, and then we would pick it up another day. Did you, like, what was the casting like? Did you have to go through, uh, I mean, obviously they auditioned for you, but how did you go about finding these people? Like where do actors go to find work per se? Well, it's, it's really about, um, the people, you know, um, you know, we, we held auditions and, uh, we had people come in and read parts. Uh, and you know, I had some people that were well connected within the industry and they had some recommendations and I had some recommendations and, you know, it's all just gut feel, you know, like you don't, you don't really know until you, you know, you work with them and, and, uh, you hope that it, you know, you hope that it, it, it's a right m marriage kind of like recruitment. Um, you know, and you don't really know until they're kind of there and they're, they're working and they're doing. And, and, uh, for me, it's just, you know, like there's, there's Mandy.com, there's, there's Craigslist, there's Kijiji, but like recruitment, it's really down to referrals and the network you have. So the, now that you've wrapped principal photography, you go into post-production. How long do you anticipate that would take until you've got a finished product that you can screen? Probably about three or four months, like realistically. You know, um, the, uh, my, my editor is, uh, you know, we're, we're working together to, you know, to, to put it together, but it, you know, it, it's not worth bringing out until it's ready. So, um, you know, I anticipate a good three, four months. Do you have though a hard deadline for yourself? Cause I'm the type of person that if I'm working on something and I don't set a hard deadline for myself, I'll finish it. Then I'll redo it. I'll redo it. I don't want to call myself a perfectionist because I'm the farthest thing from being perfect at anything, but I'm the type of guy that'll keep tinkering at it until I finally say, go, we're done with it. Um, spring 2006. You know, I think, uh, for me that that's, you know, I want to, you mean 2016. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Right. Spring 2016. It's been a long week. What can I say? Don't worry about it. Yeah, spring uh, 2016. And then once you do get a cut, what do you do for distribution? Is this going to be something that goes to the smaller cinemas, the bigger ones, film festivals? Where, where can people look for it when it does come out? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to submit it to some festivals. Um, you know, like this is a passion project, so I'm, I'm going to distribute it uh, any way I can. Um, it's, it's just about... Uh, you know, once it's done and I feel like it's ready, then yeah, we'll go after some festivals and, uh, and we'll see. Tell you what, to help you out with that. I mean, not that I have huge legions of people listening to this, but when it is finished, why don't we do one just all about the rise and the fall? We'll do a podcast where we can go through just the whole process in depth if you want to. Sure. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Ben, really appreciate your time today. I'm going to close with the same question I ask everyone. Uh, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? <laughs> Um, I'd be working on a soap opera, um, acting, making no money. <laughs> that's still technically media, but okay. We'll let it pass. Okay. Hey, true. look, the, the way reality television is taken over daytime TV, I've, I've got a retired father and that's all he talks about. It sounds like there aren't going to be soap operas in a couple of years. Well, you know what? My next film, if I can, if I can do it and don't steal this idea, but I'd love to do, uh, a mockumentary on, uh, the making of a soap opera. That'd be a good one. Anyways, Ben, thanks a lot for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, go to soundcloud.com slash mediapeoplepodcast or subscribe on iTunes by searching Media People Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Vic Genova.